who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested, and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android, or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. What does feminism mean to you? During Women's History Month, come explore feminism and how it's playing out in real life with season two of Thread the Needle, a monthly podcast. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I'll use my background in journalism to dive into topics that matter to women today, from divorce to call-out culture to masculinity to girls' confidence. Season two of Thread the Needle finds the meeting place between feminist ideals and the realities of women's lives. Listen to Thread the Needle wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe on iTunes at Toddcast Podcast. Sorry I'm late. Oh, not at all. Thanks for doing this, Dan. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, it's funny how, like, pre-pandemic, if you were meeting someone at a coffee shop and you were five minutes late, nobody would think twice. And then, like, <laughs> digital world, online meetings, you know, if I'm, like, one minute late, I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> all good. No, it's all good. So, um, yeah, I guess... Uh, First things first, like how's how's your world? Have you have you managed to uh, you know evade COVID? Yeah, uh, we are COVID dodgers, as far as we know, anyhow. Um, and uh, thus far, have managed. Um, both kids are now double vaxxed. My wife and I are now triple vaxxed. Yeah, same same for us. So at least there's sort of you know we may get it, but at least there's some knowledge that you know chances are it'll be fairly light so. right like over the the christmas break uh you know we we managed to to grab it <laughs> yeah and uh like I, i'll i'll say this it wasn't as bad as what i thought it was going to be like i've been way more sick from just a straight up just a common cold or like the flu kind of thing so yeah well and and you know i think the science suggests that it's the fact that you are vaccinated was right. partly to uh to to thank you know for the for the lighter that's the crazy thing is like the straw man argument of like oh you can still get it even if you're vaccinated yeah it's like but but the icu is like 99 percent unvaccinated people right doesn't that say something to you you know right um, anyway. and, and have you had to cancel any shows because of it Oh yeah. Like a ton, like right? five, five times in a row. Yeah. yeah. We, uh, we canceled like 45 shows in 2020 and then we rescheduled and booked new tours last year and then they got kicked down to the fall and then into the spring. And now we're, I've got a tour that's on sale right now. Um, that, uh, I don't know when this will air, but, um, it was, you know, Fingers meant crossed. for, uh, 
Feb, March, and now we're going to push it into uh, April, May. So okay. fingers crossed. Yeah. April, May, it, April, it, and has the pandemic kind of stifled your creativity? Because I've talked to some local musicians that are like, you know, I'm not even really, I'm just not really even interested in, in writing songs or even picking up my guitar anymore. I wouldn't say that actually. Um, I mean, I've been, I've had my hands full with, you know, this sort of, uh, unexpected day job that is side door, but um, I did manage. Um, I have a record that's like ninety nine percent done, and it's been made completely through the pandemic long distance with a producer in Chicago. We, right. you know, we literally spent two days in the same room in Los Angeles last last October. Um, so over two years, it's been just like sending things back and forth, and so I would send things to him, and he's been sending it all over the world to different musicians, friends of his. Um, and so it was good to have a project on the go, but it was also kind of nice that it's been a long, slow project that there are, there's no rush. Like I am not, I have not been in a rush to finish it because <laughs> that would mean that I would be in a rush to release it, which I'm not. So, um, sure. you know, I sort of feel like, um, the longer I wait, the better almost, you know, to kind of get as far away from the intensity as possible. But yeah, you know, that said, I, I do I'm starting to get a little bit antsy, you know, it's, you want to get new things in the world. Of course, of, of course. Of the yeah. game. Let me, let me dip into your back catalog real quick here before we move on. What are some of your songs that you wished had been released as, as singles? Huh? Um, well, I guess it depends. Okay. Question with a question. Uh, in today's world, are we talking radio singles or are we talking of just like the song of which we give lots of attention? Right. Um, both. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I think that probably uh, with the, you know, we, every record I've had has had maybe one song that maybe sort of kind of could be embraced by rock radio. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so, you know, you kind of put all your eggs in that basket and we've looked at a few times, you know, troubled mind did really well at Canadian radio and, um, uh, race to the bottom, uh, a few others post-war blues did okay. Um, and so I think that, you know, almost to a fault, like the songs that have, we've, put to radio have been the songs that we've really been pushing across the board. The funny thing is that I feel like in today's Spotify world that like the definition of a single is really loose and you know, what, you know, often like you'll go to a really well-known band's page and their number one song won't be the one that was on the radio. It will be the mm -hmm. fan favorite, you know, uh, the one that has no drums in it or something like that. And it's like a weird piano song. Um, and so I, I think it has to do with like the weird world of like algorithms and playlists and moods. And often the song that is like the most upbeat rock and tune, um, it might not, might not catch fire when it comes to Spotify, which is, you know, a really particular world. So all of this is just like a really terrible long winded answer to your question. But I wish that we had given more attention to songs like peaks and valleys on my last record. Okay. Um, because I think that that song could have done better in the streaming world. If we had really put the same attention into it that we did for songs like fool for waiting or, 
uh, troubled mind. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's strange. Like I, I I get the thing I get frustrated with is this lack of attention span in the world. It's so saturated. There's so many bands putting out so much music, and uh, you know it's it's been said that the starting line or you know if, if the album release used to be the starting line it's now the finish line you yeah, know truly that like it used to be you put out the record and then you spend two years you know promoting it yeah now it's like you spend two years promoting the record drop and then by the time it comes out people are like cool what's next you know right you're working on new stuff by now you've already released the three four singles and then the album comes out yeah well everyone's drip yeah. drip dripping everything so yeah. slowly Cause it's, you know, you get the same amount of attention it seems like on a single drop as you do on an album drop. So. Yeah, that's true. What was the music like in, in your house as a kid growing up? Like what are, what, are your parents, what are your parents playing? It was kind of like two worlds. One was, you know, rooting through their vinyl collection, uh, which was Van Morrison and Super Tramp and the Beatles and Paul Simon. Um, and then, uh, you know, what's, I, I was the youngest of three. And for a little while, in a Brady Bunch scenario, I was the youngest of six. So I had the benefit of lots of older siblings who could kind of inform and tell me what was going tell me what was up. So, you know, there was a bit, we were a CanCon household, big time, like Sarah McLaughlin and 5440 and Tragically Hip and the Grapes of Wrath. Um, Okay. You know, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing a bunch, but yeah. we listened to a ton of Canadian music, Bare Naked Ladies. Um, and, you know, I, I think like, I spent a lot of time pre, you know, pre-tablet, pre-cell phone, pre um, sitting on the floor wearing big headphones, listening to the record player or the CD player, yeah. looking at the liner notes, reading all the lyrics as I'm listening to Gord Downey sing them, you know, locked in the trunk of a car or whatever. And just, um, I think that the thing that I get so little time to do today is actively listen to music. I like, like that listening to music is the thing I'm doing rather than listening to music is the passive thing that's happening while I'm doing something else, like washing the dishes or something. Yeah. Um, and that's one thing that I'm so thankful that I did as a kid was I just spent hours and hours and hours just listening and, and reading the words and yeah. the liner notes. I, I think you that know. that's one of those things, uh, you know, that's lost on, uh, on the youth today. Get off my lawn. That's what it yeah. is. That's, you know, it's the, uh, like, you know, back in the, back in the day, that's what it was about. It was like, put the record on, mm-hmm. on the LP player, grab the liner notes, read, read the lines, you know, where was it recorded? Who produced it? Yeah. I think that's lost in today's. It, it's funny. Like even now it's like songs don't even matter. It's like song segments, you know, it's like a 20 second, clip uh, on TikTok of like the pre-chorus going into the chorus is what goes viral and gets like 10 million you know um uses on TikTok or whatever yeah like the like uh what was that song that mother mother just fucking blew up on, on yeah on, incredible on TikTok, right like that one 20 second clip just blew them up and it's so bizarre because like they didn't even have a twitter account when that happened you know, they they yeah. created a Twitter account in response to it, um, and they've done a really good job of sort of like tr- trying to like uh, fan that flame. You know, mm-hmm. um, and that song was what like twelve years old when that happened. Yeah, totally. And and I think that you know part of I I, I have two very like uh, paradoxical feelings about that situation, or th- let's say three. One is 
oh man, when that happened to me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, another one is, oh God, TikTok is terrifying and I don't understand it. And I'm so old. And how can I adopt this new technology in a way that is authentic and isn't just like an older musician trying to clamor onto what young people are doing. But the third takeaway that I think is ultimately the most hopeful and um, helpful is here you have a band that just kept making music, kept doing interesting things, kept pushing themselves in different directions. Um, and eventually people found what was maybe the most interesting thing that they ever did, you know, which is that really early seminal stuff, like that first mother, mother record, even before it was mother, mother, it was just mother. Mm -hmm. And I remember hearing that record and being like, Oh my God, this is insane. Like this is the craziest, weirdest, most hookiest, crazy acoustic, you know, funk. I don't know what it was, but it was just like, it blew my mind. And that's what ended up getting captured. Now in the meantime, they've had like, you know, platinum sales and number one radio songs and stuff. But I thought it was really cool that the thing that TikTok blew up was not the new polished radio stuff. It was like that first seminal. Well, it's, and, it's almost the stuff that uh, th that's the reason we love that band is because you go back to their original stuff. Right. Yeah. And so I, and you know, I've, I've known those guys since the beginning and, and, um, I, I mean, I'm just thrilled for them that it's completely blown up their whole Spotify and their, their, their live touring system is just, you know, elevated like crazy. Um, but uh, it gives me hope that like, okay, regardless of like when in your catalog it is that people find that's like the juicy spot, just keep making music. Like, you know, I was chatting with Stephen Page the other day. He, you know, he had that kind of like big viral moment with the Ryan Reynolds video. Yeah, like a couple months back there. Yeah. Canada, Canada's got your back or Canada loves you back or whatever. Yeah. And I was just thinking, like, you know, that guy has seen some ups and downs and he's had a crazy career. But he just keeps going, just keeps writing songs, keeps doing, like, if you look at his Instagram page, like, he's making weird theme songs and writing them and producing yeah. them and making like, video content he's just a creative guy and he's just never stops and truly like that's that's what the mother mother thing it, it just it just like reaffirms for me like just don't stop yeah um, i remember seeing kevin kane play at the railway club to like 20 people back in like 2000 and say 2004 or something like that and it was it wasn't like a kevin kane show he was just like coming and playing on a, you know, Tuesday afternoon or whatever. And um, I remember thinking like, God, this guy was selling out like arenas with the Grapes of Wrath in 1992, you know, and uh, or maybe earlier than that. And, um, and thinking like, but he stopped, like he, like he, he, did, he didn't, you know, he did, he's still putting out music here and there and being creative. And I, I don't know him. I have no ill. <laughs> no, yeah, I don't mean yeah. to lie. I'm not trying to razz him or anything. I think he's an amazing songwriter. And, you know, sure. um, you know, what's that one song they have that just I loved and still love the acoustic guitar. <laughs> um, tell me all the things I want. Anyways, yeah, tell me all the things. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great song. But, um, but, but, but I remember watching him feeling he stopped. Like he just stopped pushing, kicking the ball down the field. Right. And uh, so, you know, I, 
I, I'm very lucky that like the people who listen to my music, um, I will hear at the merch table within the span of one night, uh, somebody will tell me that every one of my albums, like, oh, my favorite one of yours is Oh Fortune, or my favorite album of yours is Club Med, or my favorite of yours is Postcards of Danger. And the, it's beautiful because what it's telling me is that like people, different people are finding something different in each album, which gives me some hope that there's some longevity here, you know? And oh, I yeah. That's the thing. You this. just got to keep plugging away because eventually they're going to find the material that they love. And yeah. holy crap, this guy's got like three, four other albums and they're all yeah. really good. I keep, I keep waiting. Like I've never been uh, reviewed by Pitchfork or any of those like super cool, buzzy blogs. I've just never been like embraced by the cool side of the music industry. But um, I, I, I just like, I have, I have a faith in what I've built and I, and in the work that I've made and the songs I've written. And I just sort of hope I wait for one day one of my songs will get put in a in an ad or something like that, and and then the people will be like, "Who is this guy? You know, he put out like ten records and they're all great. What the heck? You know." But one day, one, one day. day. What what was your first concert? My first concert. Uh, I was living in rural Ontario, uh, and I remember driving into Toronto uh, with my sister, who's seven years older than I was. So I was probably like seven or eight. She was like, well, yeah, something like that. She was like 14. And I remember um, getting dropped off. At, I don't know if it was the Mod Club or like the Masonic Temple or some venue in Toronto. And it was something called Acoustic Christmas. And it was like the Waltons and Sarah McLaughlin and a whole bunch of CanCon. And they were playing like acoustic. I just I remember being in the balcony and being like, whoa, so many people here. And, um yeah, I think that was like my first like thing that wasn't like a kid's show. I remember going to see Charlotte Diamond and stuff for Raffi as a kid. But yeah, yeah. I think I was like, was so like were you playing at that point? Were you already like writing songs or was that kind of like a catalyst a little bit or? Yeah, um, I think I probably was. I had an older stepbrother who was a very fine guitar player and he lived with us for all. He was a, he was a grown adult. He was like in his mid twenties or something by that maybe thirties, but he lived with us for a while and he paid his room and board to my folks uh, in in music lessons. So he taught me how to play piano and he taught me how to play guitar. And uh, he taught my brother and my sister how to play guitar. So there was a time when, uh, you know, all of us would sort of gather in the living room. I think my kids are going to come storm in here in a second. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and we, you know, we, we like, we'd get out like the chord, the binder, you know, flip through it and take out the, the chords and everything and be like, um, oh, we're all going to sing, you know, me and Bobby McGee or something like that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, oh, my kid <laughs> is interrupting our podcast here. What is it, Jude? Um, uh, what was I going to say? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Oh, um, do you know where the, uh, like the, the, the uh, things are? Like the things that, um, MTK gave us the building things, the fort things. Oh, I'm not sure. I'll have to find them for you in a little bit. Okay. okay. You're clearly doing very important stuff. Can you close the door, please? Okay. <laughs> Thanks, bud. That's great. I <laughs> love it. Um, I don't know what I was saying. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, it's 
it's funny because now you know Jude, who you just met, uh, is starting to take guitar lessons, and I thinking on it, I was like, okay, well, there's two routes here. You can kind of go the like conservatory, like learn how to play "Mary Had a Little Lamb," or you can just you know let him play a couple songs off of Abbey Road and teach him how to play C, G, and F. You know, there you go, and. Uh, obviously or you know we're leaning towards cg and f <laughs> just yeah, like because as, <laughs> yeah. as a kid that was that was that was the thing is just sitting around strumming and being like whoa so like these rock stars these like famous musicians they're just doing the same thing i'm doing like strumming around like that's cool um and that was that was really powerful you know as a kid being around lots of music and also having the older siblings that could sort of introduce cool things to me yeah um yeah it, it, Dan, it's like it's a cliche question, but uh, you're you're on a deserted island. What are the three albums you need? <laughs> um, well, feeling, two of them, like there's a Beatles album in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it's tough, man. I mean, I think my you know the most profound record in my whole life has been an OK Computer by Radiohead. Oh, yeah. I'd say like grade grade ten, I came home and listened to that album every day for like a year. Um, so that's gotta be one of them. And then in rainbows, by also by Radiohead is probably the most flawless record in modern history. Um, and it never gets old. I can just listen to that over and over and over again. You, you know, and, and Radiohead's one of those bands you're like, there's no way that they're going to be able to pull off this album uh, as good live and they blow it out of the water. Oh my God. They are so, they're so much better than every other band that it's like, there's the music industry and there's all these music going on. And then there's Radiohead. Like if you were to be like, Oh, who's in the top three or top five bands in the world, I can only name one. And they take up all five slots. It's like, (laughs) like, like, like to me, they are, they are playing a different sport than everybody else. And there is nobody that even touches them. Like there's nobody that even comes close. Okay, okay. Now, have you heard about the side project that, uh, that Tom uh, and Johnny are, are doing with the drummer of uh, Sons of Kemet? Yeah, The Smile. Well, the smile uh, yeah. Super cool. They just announced a bunch of tour dates too. They did, Would yeah. love to see that. And the footage out of that stream that they did the other day looks just looks deadly, incredible. Right? They're no fail, man. They don't, they just like everything they touch is golden. You know, they just, yeah. they're incredible. Everything has like a, a sense of abandon. Nothing is precious. Everything that en- ended up on the radio felt like it ended up on the radio by mistake. Um, they're like anti-stars. They're all quite mild mannered. None of them have that sort of like rock star bravado. Like I remember when, um, like Oasis were sort of like dying down and people were like, Oh man, it's the end of the rock star era. Like, and I just like, couldn't wait. I was like, yeah, give me, give me some people to idolize that aren't assholes. You know, like <laughs> um, I have, I have no appetite for people who act like rock stars. I have lots of appetite for people who become rock stars because of great music, but like people who act like rock stars I have no time for. And you know, it's not to say that I don't agree with some things that Liam Gallagher might say, but I like the like, you know, slag off and get me more drinks mentality. Uh, I, I just, I get, I get so disinterested in it. It's sort of like, a, 
sort of like being like a class bully or something like that. You know, you can get away with it. So you do and you can, and you try to, right. um, but I, I've loved about Radiohead how, even though Tom York famously can be a bit of a prick, he's not a prick in a showy way. He's a prick in a leave me alone. Cause I just want to sit in my basement kind of way, you know? Yeah. Um, so, okay. So, so let me reel you back in. So you're two of three so far with <laughs> yeah. our, our Radiohead. What's the third band? What's the third album? Oh man. Well, it's probably either got to be Abbey Road or, um, you know, you know, it's a great record front to back is Moondance. Yeah. It's funny because Moondance has to be one of the most overplayed songs in history. And I, I would probably skip the title track most times I listen to that record. Right. But every What's, song on that record. Every, yeah, like it stoned me. Crazy really? Love. Crazy Love. Yeah, man. Like, oh, man. So many good songs. Um, I think Sweet Thing is on that record or Sweet Thing on Astro Weeks. I can't remember. Uh, I'm not sure. But yeah, anyways, just like front to back, that record is flawless. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the reason why Moondance is overplayed is because it's obviously a great song. Right. So, you know, uh, thinking about just like what what feels good to have around. Yeah. Abbey Road or... Uh, or Moondance, probably Abbey Road. Yeah. Well, this uh, this is going to segue nice into some fan questions. Of course, when I said it, I was going to have you on the podcast, a ton of questions. Uh, Steve goes, ask him Lennon or McCartney. <laughs> like, oh my God, dude, kidding me? My whole life, I was a Lennon guy. Uh, always, you know, Paul always seemed like the politician. And Lennon sort of seemed like the the wild card. Um, and Lennon wrote the weirder songs. Lennon was funnier. Lennon was sharp. Kind of had this like cutting wit to him. Um, and I always kind of idolized John Lennon. And uh, as I get older, I realize that I'm more of a McCartney. I'm not a mysterious guy. I'm kind of plain as day, pretty transparent. Mm. I don't thrive behind the veil. I thrive when we, you know, kind of break the pedestal. Um, and so I've started as I've gotten older to empathize with Paul more. And, you know, what's interesting is that I always said I like John better my whole life, but I sing my kids songs like I, when they're tucking them into bed or whatever. And I sing them, you know, I've always sung them songs, Beatles songs. And they're all Paul songs, you know, it's all, uh, I will, or I've just seen a face or, uh, yesterday or Hey Jude, they're all Paul songs. And that says something, you know, it's in terms of like what, you know, he, he wrote the iconic anthems and, uh, and I'm watching a little bit of the, um, the Peter Jackson, I haven't watched it all, but I watched a, bu a bunch of that Peter Jackson documentary. Yeah. And so good. It's amazing. I love the fly on the wall. I love that he didn't mess with it. He didn't fuck with it. He didn't like get in there and try and editorialize it into something. He just sort of like lets you watch and observe. Mm -hmm. um, and really I love crazy to watch like the, the, the progression of these songs that now we know and love and yeah. some of the best songs ever. And just to see the way that they came about it almost kind of stumbled across it. And I love that it makes them so it's you realize that they're human. Like, these songs are so ubiquitous. They're like wallpaper to us culturally. 
mm-hmm. and um, and you realize, oh, they could have they could have done it differently. They could have chosen this lyric. They could have chosen, it. and it it puts you back into the process of like, okay, these people aren't aliens. They didn't just like descend upon Earth with all of these songs. They had to work for them, just like we all do. And uh, the process is arduous and it hurts, but you get to the other side, it can be glorious. And so it was really beautiful. And, and all that to say, like, I think that the documentary really, it, it kind of shows you that love him or hate him, that well, mostly people love him, but Paul was the leader. Like, oh, he yeah. was, you know, like the, the band would have broken up five years earlier if Paul didn't keep them together. Right. And, um, you can kind of see him coaxing everything and trying to, and he gets in a tiff a little bit with George, which is a little bit sad because you want them all to be buds. But like, you know, he was, he was the leader. He was the one gluing it all together. Uh, and you got to give him props. Yeah. I also met, I mean, Paul's the only one I've met. So oh, have you nice. I've never met him. Oh man, that'd be great. <laughs> I'll, I'll push you to the, uh, have you watched any of the, I can't remember what it's called, but it's uh, Rick Rubin is interviewing mm. Paul McCartney. I think it's called like McCartney three, two, one or McCartney one, two, three or something. It's on Disney. Yeah. Yeah. Something like Um, that. And it's really cool because of course, Rick Rubin is like, you know, he's a monstrous producer, chili peppers, beastie boys. And I mean, Metallica and all these huge bands and he's with McCartney in his studio, not his studio in in Rubin studio, um, remixing the songs with Paul right there. Mm -hmm. Dude, it's, have you seen it? It's so cool. I have seen it. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, I just love that stuff. I love that kind of behind the scenes, like, uh, you know, that VH1's uh, behind the music or whatever, the um, classic album series, like watching yeah. them make Bohemian Rhapsody and stuff. Like, it's just, I, it, again, it, it brings it back. Like Bohemian Rhapsody is so larger than life. It is, it is like stairway to heaven. And when you hear the first bed track, which is Freddie playing piano, and drums and bass and that's it and you're like well yeah like they had to write it like they wrote the song and then they added all the crazy layers and the harmonies and but like it they had to work for it and it's so it's so um i don't know settling it makes you feel like maybe if you work for it enough you could do something great you know that it's (laughs) it's it's not it's not just for them it's not just like i remember as a kid kind of or as a teenager writing songs and coming to the realization, like there was a time when Paul Simon was like a pimply faced teenager, just like me, you know? And then he wrote, you know, only living boy in New York and bridge under treadle over treadable water and la la la. And, you know, sounds of silence and, you, you know, but like there was a time he was just a regular old pimply faced kid like me. And I remember that, driving that into my brain like okay you know like who's to say that i couldn't do something extraordinary you know yeah. if i just work hard enough and god knows i did my ten thousand hours you know um you're, and, you're there for sure yeah i just well and just spend enough hours holding a guitar trying to think up a good melody you know and eventually come second nature and i love it like there's a leonard cohen quote about you sort of saying like oh I've been, I've had journalists say to me, oh, it must be nice to be Leonard Cohen. He's, you know, start writing down interesting things. He's like, no, like I've worked every moment of my whole life to try and be the best poet I can be. And it's like a, it's like a bicep, right? If you work, you do curls all day, every day and 
when you go to pick up the couch, it doesn't feel very heavy because the work's already been done, you know? And it's that sort of muscle memory, that practice, that like just getting yourself into uh, a cadence where even when you're bad, you're pretty good. And uh, I remember uh, watching Yukon Blonde play at Squamish Festival back like 10 years ago and talking to Jeff afterwards. And he was like, no, oh, man, I just didn't feel like it was in my head and I was having a hard time. And just like, I didn't feel like a very good gig. I couldn't hear myself in the monitors very well. And I was out front going like, man, this is so rad. And I remember, you know, having a good chat with him at the time about like, yeah, but you guys have did, you've done the work. Like the whole point is to do this so much that even when you're having an off day, you're better than most everybody else. Sure. Yeah. And that's, that doesn't come from, I mean, some people get the God given thing, like Dolly Parton's voice or Billie Eilish's creative, you know, magnetism or whatever some people have that i don't have that i had to work for it like i had to hit my head against the wall a million times i've never been an incredible musician still am not pretty good writer pretty good performer but like you know you wouldn't hire me to play guitar on your record you know and uh so some people get that early perfect storm lord or billy eilish or whatever um and those, those people are amazing and it's so rare and for the rest of us, we just got to work. Just got to work hard. Nothing beats hard work. Yeah. Um, Brad, I love Brad's question. Oh my God. What did Brad say? Will the Canucks win the cup before I die? How old is he? I have no idea. How old is he? How, do, how old does he look? Uh, it's a Facebook question. I don't know. Okay. Let's say he's. Let's say if he's on Facebook. He's at least he's seventy-seven. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh mean average of facebook of facebook user these days 77 um uh yeah sure oh my god i sure hope so. are you are you a canucks fan are you are you following this year and, and the yeah. ups and downs and i am a guilt-free fairweather fan of all sports yeah and i don't feel bad about it at all i feel great about it like i feel like sports are cool and I love sports. I love being athletic. I love playing sports. I love using, moving my body, mm. but I don't care enough to like invest time and energy and money into like caring about all the minutia. It's just yeah. not in my, it's just not in front of me. Like the, there's other things that I care about more, but you know, Sidney Crosby scoring that gold medal goal, like no better Russian. Like that was insane. Awesome. Running out into the street, everyone's hugging each other. God, that was great. Yeah, that so, was pretty cool. I love sports when sports get exciting. Raptors runs. Yeah. You know, hockey playoff runs. And uh, I don't feel bad about it at all. <laughs> Good. You shouldn't. Uh, Adam says, hey, what's the story behind the song Robots? Oh. Uh, a few things. Uh, you know, I was feeling like... Um, sort of assholes or, you know, kind of like robots, like people who sort of operate not out of like a internal North star or compass, but sort of just to responding to stimuli and trying to survive and, you know, stay alive and uh, feeling at times like myself, you know, I could turn into like animatronic kind of being at times. And mm -hmm. I, you know, it's sort of about the idea that, um, 
the people who need a hug the most don't know how to ask for it, you know? And uh, that's sort of where the line, you know, robots need love too. Um, so at the time I was kind of, it was a little bit about Stephen Harper, like, you know, he just seemed like such a robot and such a villainous, evil, subtle, calm old man. Um, and uh, it was sort of like a, a bit of like a realization that's like, yeah, but he's a human being. And I met Stephen Harper once and mm. he was kind of like vapid and sort of blank faced, but uh, you know, he's a person and uh, try and find the humanity in it. Uh, you know, these days, especially God, so polarized mm. either you're a, you know, flu clucks clanner or flu trucks clanner or uh you know, you're a bleeding heart snowflake and there's nothing in between, you know, it's just crazy. Right. Right. Dan, thank you, man, for, for taking some time here and, and, and hanging out with us. I told you it'd be like 20 minutes maybe, and we're way past that. So <laughs> um, if you're cool with a few more questions, I'll, I'll ramble off a few more here. Yeah. Claire, Claire says, ask him if he's a gambler. Gambler. Um, yes and no. I'm not like a, uh, I'm not a, uh, like obsessive gambler. Mm. Uh, I don't play the lottery or, uh, play blackjack or, you know, but I fucking love poker and Ooh. I'm not bad at it. Okay. And, uh, you know, I played at the Bellagio in Las Vegas and I walked away with 800 bucks or something like that. I felt pretty nice. good. Dude, that's great. Uh, and, uh, that was sort of like a claim to fame, but, uh, you know, I don't, I, I, I love poker and it's not so much the gambling. I love the game. I yeah. love the, the cards yeah. and the, the strategy and like, yeah, there's something so incredible about it. But like, you know, I don't bet on horses or anything, right. but it's, I mean, it's fun to do that. Some stuff, some recreationally, I will gamble recreationally with money that I don't care about. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, of course you got to have the, the, whatever you put aside, you got to be okay with losing yeah. it. And that's, that's like, you have to, you have to come at it with the mentality of like, if I lose this money, this is the money that I spent on the fun of losing it. Right. And if I win or if I come out clean, then that's great. But like, you have to go into it with the mentality of like, this is not money I need. But you know, like the, when I was younger, I was in university, there was a period of time where me and my buddies used to go to the river rock and play cards out there. Okay. And poker culture is depressing, dude. It's like. You know, it's, it's kind of like, like I have no problem with, with marijuana and weed, like, it, you know, great smoke it, get high. It's awesome. Um, but like weed culture is like kind of lame to me. Like, and I just like, you know, having like huge, like weed posters on your wall or something like that, you know, like, um, and it's poker is the same thing. I love the game, but poker culture is like pretty douchey and, uh, which is unfortunate. But the thing that you see when you go to the casinos is you see people who are not gambling recreationally you see people who are like taking their paycheck yeah. which needs to go toward groceries and you know putting it all on red yeah and that's like really straight depressing. up destroying their lives yeah and yeah. that's really depressing like yeah depressing enough to turn me off of going to places like that yeah fair um mike what are you binge watching lately binge watching well ozark we just caught up on ozark yeah so good so good. um so many things vikings we caught up on uh we're watching afterlife ricky gervais show i gotta give 
big props to Queer Eye, man. Like there's so many apocalyptic, dark shows that are so good. And we got to a point where it's like, we would watch one episode of like, uh, yeah, like Ozark or something. And then before we go to bed, like we had to watch something more lighthearted and more, you know, and Queer Eye is no fail. Like it just makes you smile. I probably cry almost every episode. It is like, it is a beautiful show about people infusing positivity and hope and like, you know, new chapters into people's lives. And the way that they transform people's lives is remarkable. And it feels like they're doing it in a way that's really lasting. It's not like a zero to hero makeover. It's like, it's like they're, they're, they're doing real things to help people live better lives. Right. Um, and the other thing that they do is, um, you know, they're pretty flamboyant guys and they'll go and they'll deal with like real rednecks who run cattle farms and stuff like that. And you can tell some of these guys off the top, they're like, I don't know about these gays, you know? And by the end of it, they're all hugging and they're just crying and they're like, you know, thank you guys. I never, I love you guys, you know? And you just, it gives you some hope in like that the chasm in the world can be crossed through empathy and through like humans being being bros for each other, you know, or, yeah. or sisses as the case may be. It's like, um, it's, you know, uh, being helpful to each other, being kind hearted to each other. Um, so yeah, my wife and I, we've gone through, I think all seasons of Queer Eye and it, it's sort of like an antidote when you get, when, when the rest of TV is just getting you too dark. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it feels like, I don't know about you, but, uh, sure feels like I've almost watched all of Netflix. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, even though they spent what, like, thirty billion dollars on content last year or something like that, cr- you're almost caught up. You did. Well, that, that's that's the cool thing about Netflix is they they're at that point where they can actually finance you know series and shows now, as opposed to it's all like 20th Century Fox or whatever the oh, hell, yeah. like Paramount Pictures or. It's or most like you know it's uh, let's say most of the things that we have truly dug into on Netflix have been like netflix originals in the last little while yeah yeah um but then you know we other things on other platforms as well what was the one we were watching on uh oh white lotus god you you seen that no no dude oh white lotus okay white lotus oh yes that is like no other that is that show is where's that on it's on hbo so crave in canada Ah. um it's masterful it is unbelievably good yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm writing that down. And the soundtrack is incredible. All right, Dan, one last question. I ask almost all my, probably 90% of the guests I've had over the seven, eight, eight years now, probably close to 700 guests. Wow. Share a near death story with us. Hmm. We're like, holy crap. I could have died there. Huh. Well, um, I remember uh, I was working in the at the keg in Granville Island, uh, and there was one time there was like a it was a shelf, you know, with a with a bracket, uh, you know, the bracket kind of holds the piece piece of wood as a shelf, yeah. and somehow it had kind of come loose and was like pointing out, uh, out. You know, it was like a very pointy 
piece of metal sticking out from. I remember I was doing something and I was kind of bending over and I sort of stood up and turned around and I was staring at this big metal spike that was like an inch from my eye. And I pushed it back into place so that it wouldn't do that for somebody else. And then I got like a piece of duct tape or whatever and wrapped it or something. Just, I did something to kind of make it safer. Yeah. Um, and uh, I remember maybe it's maybe not near death, but I remember thinking in that moment, like how many hoops do you have to jump through to get to 90? You know, <laughs> how many times do you have to not get hit by a bus? You have to not get, you know, spinal meningitis when you're an infant. You have to like, you know, not get cancer in your fifties. You have to not, um, you know, have a skiing accident or whatever. Like, um, how many times, how many hoops do you have to jump through to get to 90? It's like kind of a miracle. Oh yeah. Um, and just like, and then you forget, you know, my, so I probably had like 20 of those kinds of incidences where only nine, one of them I remembered. Yeah. But I, I was going to say, it's almost like, you know, if you can make it to 20, you're yeah. probably okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, and like, I, like when I was 18, I went to uh, the Cook Islands with my buddy after we graduated from high school, went to New Zealand and backpacking around, partying like crazy. And we got, we rented motorbikes in the Cook Islands. And I think back now, and I've got two boys and I'm just like, this is insane. We ripped around that Island in like flip-flops, board shorts, no shirt, no helmet. No helmets ripping around the island you know probably going like they, they weren't like crazy motorbikes they were like you know probably maxed out at like 100k or something like that you know right. but still but still like it was like ripping around this island if if i fell like i'm dead you know there's no there's no question yeah and in the moment thinking like i'm living man this is great you know oh yeah and just realizing like what idiots 18 year olds are particularly 18 year old men well, like boys. i said you, you make it to 20 you know and yeah. and how old are your kids mine are 11 and 9 and and we have to go through that bro yeah all that yeah. shit we got to live through there now the other day my kids are five and eight and the other day um the older one who's kind of now at the age where he can look both ways and kind of you know if it's a side street and it's quiet he'll, he can cross on his own and uh the younger one was following the older one and just didn't even look, just ran right across the street. And we were livid with them. We were so angry, you know, guys, kid, Hayden, you're, you're just the height of a bumper of a car. They're not going to see you. You would got, you would have been tossed into the middle of the street. Your head would crack open. There'd be blood everywhere. You'd probably be dead if you were hit by a car. I'm trying to instill some fear in them, you know? And, and I mean, it's not that it's not the truth. Um, and so we had a moment and they're like, okay, yeah, I'm sorry. Literally five minutes later, the older one is on this like rope swing. So like sitting on a wooden slat and he shoves himself like, off against the tree, kind of like, uh, like, because if you're uh, rappelling off of a cliff, you know, yeah. and the wooden slat smashes the younger one right beneath the eye. Like, and I hear the wood hit the bone of his like ocular bone, like his cheekbone. It was like like this dull, terrifying sound. And he erupts and he's covered, he's grabbing his eye and I pick him up and I'm running home and he's 
howling and screaming and crying, going, my eye, my eye is broken, my eye. And I'm thinking, he's blind, that's it. Like he's gonna oh, be blind in that eye. The you worst. Know, it turn, turned out he just had a bad shiner. But like if that wooden slit slat had hit him, you know, half an inch higher, it might've just exploded his eyeball or something. Yeah. Well, yeah, the, the, your original story about like the turning and you got the thing right here. It reminded me of a story of my, my oldest James. Uh, we co-slept with, with our kids. Like, you know, we slept in, if they were in their crib, that's cool. But if they wanted to sleep yeah. in our bed, that was also, also cool. And one night he rolled out of our bed and smashed his eye like right there on the corner of our wooden side table. Oh. And, uh, you know, we take him to the same thing. He's fucking just screaming like, you know, death has hit him. Right. And we take him to the hospital and, you know, it was just like, they basically just glued his eye with the thing shut. Yeah. But the, the, the doctor had said like, if he was over just half an inch, an inch over, probably be blind out of that eye. Yeah. Also, I mean, big ups to evolution for, you know, giving us these deep eye sockets. You know what I mean? <laughs> that, like, like how many people had big protruding eyes? Right. And they didn't make it, you know, right. they, they didn't procreate. They didn't, you know, um, <laughs> but the people with the deep inset eyes, they survived, you know, and thank goodness, because here we are, you know? Yeah. Awesome. Dan, man, thank you so much uh, again for, for coming on and hanging out. You're easy to find on Twitter and Instagram, Dan Mangan Music, danmanganmusic.com. Uh, and I guess we'll, we'll see you online. Yeah. Thanks, man. Always pleasure to pleasure to chat. Take yeah, care. It's good. it's good to see you. I'll, I'll keep in touch and uh, we'll tag you when we're throwing this stuff around online. Sounds great. Thanks, awesome. Todd. The Toddcast Podcast on toddhancock.ca. You've probably heard the name Mary, Queen of Scots, and maybe you know the importance of her legacy to the British monarchy. But how much do you know about her life and what she was really like? For instance, did you know that she preferred to have her eggs scrambled or that giving gifts was her love language? In my podcast, Vulgar History, we'll be talking about all that and more during an eight-part miniseries about the fascinating life of Mary, Queen of Scots. Vulgar History is a feminist women's history comedy podcast where we don't shy away from the messy, complicated lives of women from the olden times. Particularly with women in history, it's easier to use broad strokes to portray who they were. And it's like we forget they probably also had messy lives, complicated relationships, and maybe things weren't as black and white as they might seem in a textbook. But I'm dedicated to sharing the sides of the stories we don't always hear, and each episode is supported by rigorous historical research. Turns out there's really something about Mary Queen of Scots. So be sure to turn into my series about Mary Queen of Scots and check out the other incredible women I've talked about while you're there. You can listen and subscribe to Vulgar History wherever you get your podcasts and learn more at vulgarhistory.com.